0: Well, good day, friends. Welcome to Tuesday, April the 12th, and thanks for joining me for enough for today. We are taking a break from Psalms just this week because it is uh, Resurrection Week, Passion Week, and so beginning Sunday we began to talk through the schedule or the life of Jesus this last week of his life, and so we're on Tuesday now, and Tuesday was a busy day for Jesus. So let me give you a bit of uh, a bit of the backstory. He has come from Jericho. He's staying with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, in Bethany, which is just a short walk outside of the city over the Mount of Olives. It's, a, it's an arduous walk because it's quite a climb. Every day, the first three days of this week, he's going to come into the city. Okay, The first day we call the triumphal entry. That was on Sunday. We talked all about that on Sunday in church. If you didn't get to catch it, it's in the archive celebrating Jesus, what it means to truly welcome a king. And we really unfolded all the nuances culturally, biblically, uh, the big backstory of the Bible when it comes to the significance of the triumphal entry of Jesus. And if you didn't catch the message, I hope you will. Then yesterday, we talked about Jesus coming back into the city. On the way in, he pauses and curses a fig tree. And we unfolded a little bit about what that meant and why he did that. It was a living parable about the fruitlessness of the nation of Israel. He then goes into the temple and cleanses the temple, which we talked about the first time he did that a couple of weeks ago on our Sunday morning study from John chapter 2. So that was actually three Sundays ago. If you want to go back and catch that, this is the second time that Jesus did that in his earthly ministry. He did it when he started his ministry, and now he did it at the end. He's driving out the cartel, the legalism, the oppression, And he's making God's house a house of grace, a house of prayer, that all people can come to God in faith with true hearts of repentance. He then spent the day teaching and giving the gospel and doing miracles and blessing and loving people while his enemies, uh, the chief priests, the Pharisees, the lawyers, the scribes, the Sadducees, they are gathering, wringing their hands, because throngs of people are listening to Jesus and hearing him and, and uh, they are seeing their system, their kingdom is being threatened. They know, by the way, that Jesus is the Messiah, but he doesn't fit their description. He's not the Messiah they want. So they reject him. And that's why Jesus uh, used the fig tree as an example of fruitlessness. Jesus ends the day, goes back to Bethany on Monday night, wakes up Tuesday morning and goes back to the temple, and he has a very busy day. Now, I'm going to talk you through the string of events that are all throughout the four Gospels, and then we emailed out to our church family a, a, uh, a reading schedule for Passion Week. By the way, I'll just say, if you would like that, uh, send me an email, pastor at ebcnewington.com. I will forward that to our church office, and we'll be happy to send you the reading schedule, and you can join us and read through uh, these portions of, of scriptures on the last week of Jesus' life. The other thing I will tell you is that there's a little bit of ambiguity on um, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, <clears throat> um, as to did all did everything that I'm going to mention today happen on Tuesday? Possibly. It, it, some of the questioning and dialoguing between the leaders and Jesus may have also bled into uh, Wednesday. Um, I'm not sure if it would have bled into Thursday or not, But there's a three-day span here where he is in the temple teaching and then back at Bethany, then back in the temple, back at Bethany. And so um, these conversations are happening while he's there ministering to people most of the day, every day. And that is really the big thing you need to wrap your brain around for a minute. The, The Gospels give us these key vignettes of conversations, especially the religious leaders' confronting and questioning and cross-examining Jesus, their motive is to trap him and trip him up theologically, to get him to violate the law, to get him to contradict, to get him to blaspheme. They're trying to trap him so that they can legally drag him out of the city and put him to death. Uh, 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 And so they've got to get him to to blaspheme God. Um, Well, Jesus proves to be smarter than them. Surprise, surprise. Uh, But this happens over several days. What was the significance of this? Well, the parallel is that on on the first day of the week, the 10th day of Nisan, which is the same day that Jesus entered the city, every family was required, Passover law, Old Testament law, to select their lamb on that day. And for three days, that lamb would go with them into the home, uh, about town, it would be with them. And they would examine, they would study this lamb. They would make sure this lamb is not only spotless and flawless, but healthy. Um, And so there was an examination. So there was a presentation or selection of the lamb. And then there was three days of examination before the lamb was presented to the priests to be approved of and then to be offered. So Jesus is going through the lamb of God process. God has selected him, presented him. And now for three days, that lamb will be examined by the law, the law keepers. Did, did Jesus keep the law? Did he fulfill the law? Is he truly a spotless, perfect sacrifice for you and for me? He's going through the process and they can't trap him. Now, let's talk specifically about the events of the day. Well, on the way in to town, they pause at the same fig tree that he cursed the day before and it's now withered up. And Peter, in particular, is surprised, all the disciples, that the tree is withered that quickly, okay? And they bring it up to Jesus. Now, when you read about this in Mark, Jesus then teaches them. He says, have faith in God. And he says, whoever would have true belief, full belief, in their hearts, if they said this mountain should be removed, it would be removed, okay? Now, to set that up, then he says... uh, that person can ask whatever they want, and it will be done, okay? Now, who is that person? We, we sometimes take this in this, oh, if I just had more faith, I could do whatever I wanted. God has to answer my prayer. No, Jesus is talking about himself, okay, because he's the only one who has that comprehensive um, state of belief. Have you ever had 100% perfect belief? Of course not. All of your belief is laced with doubt. It's insufficient. That's why the one man prayed to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. All of our belief coexists with some measure of unbelief. Okay? So the only one who's ever had perfect, a perfect uh, understanding of belief is Jesus himself. And yes, if Jesus were to say, for this mountain to be removed, it would be removed. And whatever Jesus asks is in line with the will of the Father, and it will be. Now, why did Jesus go through this and talk to Peter? And then he proceeds to tell him about the power of prayer in his own life. heres I'll just tell you what I believe is happening, okay? The disciples understand that the fig tree is a picture of Israel, and it scares them. They don't really understand the big picture of redemption. And when Jesus curses that fig tree, and they hear Jesus talking about the nation, Um, it scares them Uh, is is he going to reject me okay am I going to be fruitless like that fig tree like my nation it scares them and I think Jesus in turning to Peter and saying have faith in God is saying Peter I know your state of faith and I've got you covered Uh, I am your true source of security and because I have all the power and all the belief and all of the, because I am uh, going to fulfill all the righteous expectations of God on your behalf, when you pray, I'm going to hear you. I'm with you. I'm for you. So he teaches them about faith and forgiveness. He also says, uh, be forgiving in, in light of the fact that your father has forgiven you a forgiven heart is, is by default a forgiving heart. Okay, so he talks about forgiveness too. They then proceed down the hill, up the hill into the city, into the temple where Jesus is teaching the people. Now this is coming back to what I wanted to say a minute ago. Think about the generosity of Jesus for three days. We get little vignettes of the conversations, but for, for full days, he's sitting in the courts of the temple teaching the people. Think about the accessibility of Jesus. What did he teach? Well, Scripture says he preached the gospel. Uh, He's healing. He's doing miracles. People are believing. This is a massive harvest right before the crucifixion. It's also a rising storm of opposition. But in these moments, there are hearts that choose to believe in Jesus and how joyful he must have been, even knowing the cross was coming, And even knowing his enemies were plotting and planning, how joyful it must have been. Because, you know, Jesus loves people. He loves you. He loves me. So he spends three days before his death, before he offers himself, he spends three days with those people, finishing up his earthly ministry, loving, blessing, teaching, uh, cherishing them. I just think it's wonderful. Well, they question him. The leaders question him. The first group are the chief priests and lawyers. They question him about his authority. By what authority? He turns it around on them and says, you tell me about John the Baptist's baptism. By what authority did John baptize? And they say, we don't know. All right, well, it's a trick question because they did know, um, but they didn't want to admit it. The people believed John the Baptist was a prophet. Well, John the Baptist was a prophet, The Pharisees knew he was a prophet, but the problem is John the Baptist affirmed Jesus as the Lamb of God and as the Messiah. So if they affirm John the Baptist, they have to affirm Jesus. But if they reject John the Baptist, they have to uh, face the anger and the rejection of the people. So it's very politically complex. So they say, we don't know. They chicken out and don't answer. And he says, if you won't answer my question, I'm not going to answer your question. So they walk away. Brilliant, brilliant. Jesus then tells a series of parables. It's these days where Jesus shares some of the most famous parables of all the Gospels. The story of uh, the two sons, one is told to go work in his father's field, and he says no, and, and then later changes his mind. The other one is told to go work in his father's field, and he says okay, but he never goes. And Jesus says, which one of these has done the will of the father? Of course it was the one who said no but then changed his mind and he says even so the publicans and the sinners the poor people the broken people the the failed but repentant people are going to make it into heaven before you guys and so he confronts the unrepentance of the religious crowd he then tells the story of the of the man who bought the vineyard and and re- leased it out to a wicked, a group of husbandmen who were going to tend it, and he sends his servants to check on the vineyard, and uh, they beat the servants and send them away. So finally, he sends his son. As they see the, son, he thinks he says, "I'll send my son. They won't mistreat him so badly." Um, as the son arrives, they say, "This is the man's son. Let's just kill the son." And then we'll be rid of this man for good. And so they kill his son. So it's a parable of what he knows they're planning to do to him. Then there's the story of the great feast. And those that are invited do not come. And and then the man sends the uh, servants out to the highways and hedges and compels them to come in. The next group that comes to question Jesus are the Pharisees. And they ask him about taxation. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And that's when Jesus asks for the coin and says, whose inscription is this? And they said, Caesar. And he says, then render to Caesar what is Caesar's, render to God what is God's. The next group that questions him, two more, the, first, the next one is the Sadducees. They don't believe in the resurrection. So they ask him a question, this, this real convoluted question about the resurrection that's incredibly confusing. And his answer is, God is, has declared himself to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's the God of the living, not the God of the dead. So Jesus affirms that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still alive and perplexes the Sadducees, and the people marvel at Jesus' brilliance, at Jesus' authority, at, at the way uh, Jesus has a handle on theology and truth. The final group are the lawyers of the Pharisees. And they come and say, what's the great commandment? And, of course, Jesus answers their question. And at that point, he turns the questions around. And he says, let me ask you a question. Who is David's son? Uh, Or who is Messiah? And they said, the son of David. And he said, well, if he's David's son, why would David call him Lord? And there's this psalm where uh, David... Calls his son Messiah, his Lord. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's an Old Testament reference to the fact that the Messiah would be God. Come as a man, the Son of David would be the God of David. Okay, and that question trips them up, and leaves them speechless. They walk away and they stop asking Jesus questions at that point because this is becoming a public embarrassment. And remember, thousands of people are listening to these conversations. At that point, and I'm sorry I'm going long, Jesus enters into a long public excoriating rebuke of the Pharisees and the religious leaders, publicly humiliating them in the courts of the temple in front of everybody. And then he laments over the city of Jerusalem. And I want to read that lament to you. <coughs> Excuse me. He says old Jerusalem Jerusalem Thou that killest the prophets, and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, for I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth, till you say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. That, of course, is his second coming. I want to come back to that in a second, but I want to tell you the rest of the uh, events of the day. Um, After the lament over Jerusalem, Jesus sees the widow. He rebukes the Pharisees for devouring widows' houses, and he's angered that they're receiving the last two mites of a poor widow. He would never do that to that widow, and it makes him very angry. It could have been on this day that a group of Greek men, John 12, came asking to see Jesus which is another wonderful indicator that the gospel is for the Gentiles as well as for the Jews. Well, they finally leave the temple after a long day of teaching. Jesus has had a long day. It's sunsetting. It's the end of the day. It's dusk. And they stop halfway up or maybe at the peak of the Mount of Olives. One of the disciples mentions the beauty of the sun uh, reflecting off of the Temple Mount. And they pause there and Jesus delivers the Olivet Discourse where he talks about the destruction of the temple, the end times, this is all in Matthew, Uh, the end times signs. He talks about the signs of the times being like spring when the fruit trees start to blossom. We know summer is coming. He tells his followers to stay alert, to be like stewards, to be like virgins waiting for the arrival of the groomsmen, uh, bridesmaids waiting for the arrival of the groomsmen. He tells us to be uh, investing and multiplying the talents, the resources, and the opportunities he's given to us. And then he tells us in that discourse that when it's all said and done, he'll sort out who are believers and who are phonies, who are fakes, sheep and goats, okay? And at the end of that discourse, he closes the day back in Bethany, no doubt tired and exhausted. What a Tuesday, maybe Tuesday and Wednesday some things particularly we'll talk about tomorrow that have to do uh, with Wednesday itself. But a busy Tuesday, but let me tell you what it really is. It's a generous Tuesday, a generous heart of God, accessible, reachable, relatable, preaching the good news in the courts of the temple. Some want him dead, some are still doubting, but many choose him. What an awesome story. Hey, have a great Tuesday. We'll see you tomorrow.